This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs.
What a great reminder for uncertain times. We have a rock, a solid rock. Thank you, Rachel. So, uh, so thankful to, um, to just be able to study God's Word together today. We're at the tail end of a series that we've called No Longer Slaves. And let me just say this, if at the end of today's message you think, well, Joe, I... I haven't gotten a thing out of the last four weeks. Let me just tell you, I'm really sorry. Um, and I don't put the blame on you. It, it, it's on me. I probably didn't do a very good job. But hopefully over the coming days, the Holy Spirit will cover for my ineptness. And you will not just understand what the Apostle Paul was saying, but you will be able to discover the secret of getting rid of a lot of frustration that he talked about in Romans chapters 6 and, and 7. Today, as we wrap up our series, we're going to talk about one more aspect of following Christ. And, and, and notice I said following Christ rather than just becoming a Christian or following the Christian faith. And, and there's nothing wrong with those statements. We use them around here. We use them a lot. But it seems that across the world, when we talk about becoming a Christian or we talk about becoming part of, the Christ, or part of, of Christianity, it's largely viewed as joining a religion. But when Jesus came into the world, He didn't come to start a religion. Nor did He come to ask us to join a religion. Jesus came to offer Himself as a sacrifice so he could become your savior and so he could become my savior and what got the first century followers of jesus in trouble with rome was was not their fascination with the christian religion rather it was their fascination with the person that the romans had killed and what especially drove the roman officials wild was that this person that they had killed came back to life and his followers were willing to give their lives for him and so it wasn't Christianity, the religion, that was so offensive to the Romans. It was Jesus Christ. But somewhere along the line, this living, this vibrant, relationship-driven movement took a turn and became like so, other, so, so many other movements and, and just became another religion. And the reason I mentioned all of that is because I think that one of the reasons that some of us struggle with sin so much and we can't seem to break away from the patterns of sin is because we've bought into Christianity as a religion or we bought into Christianity as a system. And here's what will happen if you go with the religious approach to Christianity. You will end up super frustrated because Christianity, and, and, and follow me here, Christianity as a religion, and, and I know this sounds horrible, but hear me out. Christianity as a religion doesn't work. Sorry if that offends you. Uh, let me say it again, though. Christianity as a religion does not work. Because Christianity as a religion is just about trying to do more good things and trying to do less bad things. And if that's the sum of our Christianity, we will spend the rest of our lives being frustrated because we will never measure up to the good that we know we should do and the bad we shouldn't do 
In fact, we will sound a lot like the Apostle Paul in the verse that we've looked at each week in this series, Romans chapter 7, verse 15. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And remember again who was saying this. This was not a bad sinner. This was Paul, the writer of around half of the New Testament. Someone that was way more committed than you, way more committed to Jesus than me, but he was frustrated and said, I know what I ought to do, but I don't do it. In fact, the very thing that I hate, you know, the very thing that disgusts me about other people, the very thing that I've decided I will not do is what I end up doing. So I get up in the morning with guilt. I go through the day with guilt. I go to bed at night with guilt because I can't be the good person that I want to be. And of course, we've all been there. We've all done that. And and over the last three weeks, we've explained that it all began with, with Adam. One more week with these illustrations here. And, you know, Adam sinned. And from that time, then sin was passed down to Adam's kids and his kids' kids and his kids' kids' kids, or however you say that. And it was passed down eventually to the Apostle Paul. It was passed down to us. Which means we inherited the power of sin in our lives. We all inherited that frustration of not being able to do the good that we want to do. Well, Paul's frustration, we're just, just kind of a review here. Paul's frustration increased to the point to where he said in Romans chapter 7, verse 24, what a wretched man I am. Now, now there's a lot of emotion in that sentence. And, and even though we may not have used the word wretched to describe us yet, I think we've all felt like a wretched soul. I know I have. Maybe we, we read a blog or we listen to a sermon. We hear the formula for how to be a good husband. And, and we as husbands say, oh, I'm so far from that. I could never be that. And we think, oh, wretched husband that I am. Or we read an article about parenting. And, and you parents, you know this. You know, we, we think, oh, we could never live up to what they're saying we should. And what a wretched parent I am. Or, or a pastor preaches a, a series on Romans about no longer being slaves and and we know we're a slave to sin, maybe to a substance, maybe to a behavior, maybe to an attitude, and we think, oh, wretched person I am. And we become so frustrated because we know better, but we don't have the willpower to do what we know is right. Oh, wretched man that I am. Well, Paul, because of his frustration, then asks, who, who will rescue me from this body of death? Because here's what he knew. Where there's sin, there's death. Where there's sin, there are consequences. Where there's sin, there's pain. You hurt yourself. You, you hurt other people. You hurt your marriage. You hurt your kids. You hurt your parents. Sin hurts your health, your finances. Sin always brings some kind of consequence, pain and death. So Paul said, who will rescue me from this body of death? And let me point out something really important about this question. When Paul asked this question, did you notice it wasn't a what question? He didn't say, 
What can I do to rise above this temptation? What can I do to overcome this sin? What book can I read? What discipline can I practice? What support group can I join? He did not ask a what question. Rather, he asked a who question. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And in the, next very, in the very next verse, he lets us know that he had found the who. Because in Romans 7, 25, says, thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Which, of course, then takes us to the other side here. Uh, and thankfully that we have a way that we can go from in Adam to in Christ. Thankfully, because of Christ's death on the cross, He provided a way so that those of us who have been in Adam, which is all of us, we have an opportunity to become in Christ. And that changes everything. And when we go from in Adam to in Christ, something amazing happens. Paul introduces us to a new paradigm or a new way. Romans chapter 6, four, uh, six verse 14 says, For sin shall not be your master, because you're not under law, but under grace. So Paul says there's a better way. There's the in Christ way. Being in Adam leads you to failure, failure, failure. You may have some good days, maybe a few good weeks, but you generally end up where you were in sin. Or, you know, you may leave one stage of life, and as you go into another stage, you will get excited because certain temptations have lessened. You know, as we get older, sometimes that happens. But, but here's what you will also find, regardless of your age, regardless of the season of life, you will find that temptation and sin is always knocking at your door. And as certain temptations lessen, lose their appeal, you will find that other temptations will take their place. In fact, let me as an old man, I'm not nearly as old as Silas, but I'm an old man, let me let you in on a secret. Just because you get into your 40s or 50s or 60s and certain temptations that were big in your life may not be as strong as they once were, let me tell you, you're not out of the woods yet. You may say, well, Joe, at least I'm not cheating on tests anymore. Well, you're not in school anymore. The only tests you take now are blood tests. <laughs> or, or you think, well, well, at least I'm not stealing stuff from work anymore. Well, you're retired, you goofball. <laughs> you don't even go to work anymore. Or, or, or you say, well, at least I'm no longer partying on weekends. Well, it's because you now go to bed at 7 o'clock. But whereas you may not cheat or steal stuff or party anymore, other temptations will pop up and take their place and you will think, oh my word, I, I, I never thought I'd wrestle with this issue. You know, some of you, you, you know what I'm saying. Let me just tell you that every stage of life, there are new temptations. You want to be good, but as long as you're in Adam, you will struggle. So Paul says, there's a better way. It's called the way of grace. That comes from being in Christ. Let's jump into our lesson today. And um, by the way, if you want to catch up with past lessons, you can go to eldochurch.com and find every lesson uh, for the past umpteen years there. Uh, you can access them for, uh, for free. 
To be totally transparent with you, I wanted to end this series last week. I, uh, I thought, man, this has been heavy for me, and I'm sure it's been heavy for you. And I thought, it's time to move on. Uh, but I didn't feel we could end the series without presenting one more concept. And, and I believe this is a non-negotiable concept if we're going to no longer be slaves to sin. If we leave this out, we're pretty much guaranteed to be frustrated all of our lives. We'll keep going back to patterns of sin, addictions, habits. And for this truth, we're going to be going to another one of Paul's books. You can get the same truth in Romans, but in the book of Galatians, Paul actually adds a few more details that at least for me makes it easier to understand. But before we go to Galatians, I want to review the verse that we ended with last week because in in this verse in John, uh, it gives us the words of Jesus that tie into the words of Paul. This is all going to fit together if you'll just hang with me. But here's the verse that we ended with last week. John chapter 15, verse 5. I'm the vine. This is Jesus speaking. Jesus is the vine. You, which be us, those of us who follow Christ, are the branches if a man remains in me and I in him, so if we're connected, if we remain connected to the vine, to Jesus, this person will bear much fruit. But, but if we're not connected to Jesus, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, this verse just kind of blows up our typical strategy that we use for trying to be good and trying to break away from sin. You know, our typical strategy is to try harder and harder and to have more and more discipline. But this verse just blows that theory up. And Jesus says that the secret, the secret to being good, the secret to having good fruit instead of bad fruit is to abide in Him. Because, and and this is big, when we abide in Him, when we're connected to Him, then His power, understand this, His power, not ours, flows from the vine into the branches and gives us the power to no longer be slaves to addicted, habitual, continual sin. It's not our power. It's not trying harder. It's Christ's power. And if you've learned the secret, people are going to say, wow, you've changed. You know, you don't blow up like you used to. Or, or you've changed. You know, you're a better listener. You used to do all the talking. Now you're interested in others. Or, or, or you've changed. You seem more at peace. Or, or, or you've changed. I've noticed that you're no longer putting those harmful substances in your body. And what's different? Well, you're connected to the vine. And you're now abiding in Christ. And that produces fruit. So those were Christ's words. Today, we connect them to Paul's words in Galatians chapter 5. He takes this same concept and elaborates. Here we go, Galatians 5, 16. So I say live, and uh, this word could actually be translated walk as well. So I say live or walk by the Spirit. Now, let's just call a timeout. What does it mean to live by the Spirit or walk by the Spirit? How do you measure living by the Spirit. Let's talk about this, because frankly, it's much easier to understand those specific um, 
you know, do's and don'ts that we find in the Bible. For example, when the Bible says, don't lie, we understand that. When the Bible says, don't steal, we get it. When the Bible says, don't fornicate or don't commit adultery, we know what those mean. We don't necessarily follow them, but we understand. When the Bible promotes concepts of purity, we understand we shouldn't look at nasty pictures. When the Bible says, don't use the Lord's name in vain, again, many don't follow that. A lot of church people don't even follow that. But we understand. When the Bible says that we should care for our bodies as a temple of the Holy Spirit, you know, we know that we shouldn't smoke, drink, chew, or anything else harmful to this temple of the Holy Spirit. We understand. When it comes to specific do's and don'ts, most of the time it's easy to know what's right and what's wrong. But when it comes to this statement of live by faith or walk by faith, how do you measure that? Well, hang with us, and especially hang with Paul in Galatians, because he's going to slowly unpack this. So what happens if you live by the Spirit that he talked about? It says you will not gratify, or gratify just means satisfy or fulfill, the desires of the sinful nature. Now, here is how this plays out if we gratify the desires of the sinful nature. It generally begins with an argument in, in our minds. We say, oh, you know, I shouldn't do that. In fact, I know I shouldn't do that. It's wrong. And, and I'm trying so hard not to do that. I'm trying. I'm trying. Oops. I just did it. I, I didn't want to, but I did. I, I messed up. And then in our minds, we, why did I do that? Some of you relate. I'm such a failure. Oh, oh, wretched man I am. Lord, forgive me. I'll try harder tomorrow. Oh, no, I did it again. And again. And again. I'm so weak. And I'm afraid now it's a habit. Or now it's an addiction. God how did I get here? That's the way we gratify the sinful nature. Well, Paul goes on, and as he did in Romans chapter 7, he talks about the internal battle of wanting to do what's right but failing. This is the way he says it in Galatians 5, 17. For the sinful nature desires what's contrary to the spirit, and the spirit, what is contrary to the sinful nature, they're in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. And, and remember in Romans, Paul referred to the conflict as the good that I want to do, I don't do. What I hate, I end up doing. Well, let's keep tracking with Paul. He knows that some of you and he knows that some of us are good at finding loopholes to justify our wrongdoing. And so he decides to list some of the desires of the sinful nature so you can't say, so I can't say, well, I didn't know. Verse 19, the acts of the sinful nature are, what's the word? Obvious. And why does he say they're obvious? Because they're obvious. You know, as we read this, none of us would say, oh, really, that's in there? I, I didn't know that was wrong. They're obvious. Here are a few of them. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality. Do I need to explain that? No, it's obvious. Impurity. 
That would include things such as allowing impure thoughts or images in our mind. Debauchery, now we, we don't use that word very much. Debauchery just means excessive sensual pleasure. So take impurity and square it, or, or maybe to the 10th power. That, that's debauchery. Um, idolatry, anything you devote more energy, time, passion to than God. Uh, witchcraft. And again, these things, Paul says, are obvious. You understand them. Hatred. Discord. You know, always having an axe to grind with someone. Jealousy. What happens when we're jealous? We feel like we've got to continually tear them down to lift us up. We think that, okay, well, if I criticize them, then it will kind of make me look a little bit better. That's just jealousy. Fits of rage. Slamming doors throwing things, selfish ambition, you know, where it's all about you, uh, dissensions, factions, uh, you know, divisive person and divisive people. They're, you know, it's amazing what one person, the chaos one person can cause in a business or in a church or, or wherever. Um, verse 21, an envy, drunkenness, orgies, Paul says, these are obvious. And then I like these last three words, and the like. You you know what Paul was saying? Et cetera. Et cetera. The list could go on and on. You know, getting addicted to things, having a bad attitude, hating skinny people, or hating rich people, or hating Democrats, or hating Republicans, or, or gossiping, or do I dare mention this? Not paying your bills. Paul Paul says, et cetera, and the like. And to those who are involved in these acts of the sinful nature, Paul says, I warn you as I did before. So evidently Paul had already issued a warning to them about this previously. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So I just declare to those of you that are listening today, Um, you're guilty. I'm guilty. Maybe you haven't been guilty of adultery. Maybe you haven't been guilty of witchcraft, but I promise you when Paul said, and the like, etc., we've all shown evidences of the sinful nature in our lives. Well, Paul shifts gears. And by the way, I just want to establish the fact that there's none good. Remember, we said that there are no good people that on occasion do bad things. You know, we're all bad people that on occasion do good things. That's what the Bible says. There is none good, none righteous, no, not one, until we become in Christ. Then he gives us his righteousness. But Paul shifts gears and and does a major transition into an amazing truth And this truth begins to help us understand what it means to walk by the Spirit. In verse 22, he says, But the fruit of the Spirit. So remember, this is in contrast to the acts of the sinful nature that came uh, as a result of being in Adam. The fruit of the Spirit. And and actually, before we get into this, let let me call a quick timeout. Um, um, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever thought about this? How does fruit end up on a tree? Um, 
Well, it's not because of anything that you do on the outside of the tree. It's not like you can go up to an apple tree and take some zip ties and attach some little apples to an apple tree and expect them to grow. No, they will not grow. And you know what will actually happen? They'll rot over time. It doesn't take long. You, you can't take oranges and, and get some string and somehow fasten them to an orange tree and expect them to grow. The oranges will rot. Fruit grows on trees not because of something you do on the outside. Rather because of the nutrients that come from the trunk to the branches into the fruit. I know it actually starts with the, the nutrients in the ground, root, all of that. But, but it's nothing that happens on the outside. It, it comes from the inside. And, and, and the reason I say that is because by the same token, when it comes to you, when it comes to me, we can't just expect fruit from the Spirit of God to grow on us because of something on the outside like trying harder or using more discipline. Spiritual fruit comes from being connected to the vine, connected to Christ, in Christ, and, and then listen, when we're connected to the vine, then Christ grows the fruit in us. Please understand, this is different than, well, I'm going to try to be good, I'm going to try harder and, and, and hope that I'll grow the fruit of patience or, or gentleness in my life. You know, if that's the way that we approach growing spiritual fruit, we will find that we might do better for about four days, but then we're going to lose our temper, we're going to go back to our addiction, go back to whatever, so, so the fruit of the Spirit that Paul is about to tell us about comes from the vine of Christ. Let's look at the fruit. And by the way, if you're a male or if you're a female, this is really important to you. So whatever you've been doing, texting, tweeting, shopping, surfing, because you can do all of that in church now. Not supposed to, but you do. So the deeds of the flesh are obvious, you know, all of the bad stuff that you do, all of the bad stuff that, that you look at, all of the bad stuff that you put into your body, it's obvious. It's part of the sinful nature, but the fruit of the Spirit is the following. And as I say each fruit, I want you just to repeat it after me, okay? Uh, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, love. Joy, joy, peace, peace. Patience, patience, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, as we, as we go through this list, here's the way that most of us are wired. We're, we think, oh man, you know, the first fruit was love, and I, I know I need to be more loving. I've been so cranky recently, I don't know what's gotten into me. I'll try to do better and be more loving. We, we see where, you know, the fruit is, is joy, and we say, oh, COVID stole my joy. I need to try to be happier and more joyful this week. Or, or the fruit of the Spirit is peace, and I, I've been so stressed, but I'm making up my mind to just be a more peaceful person. Patience? Oh, I'll have to admit, I have had zero patience with everybody. I, need, I know I need to be more patient. I'll try harder. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. I, I'm going to get two accountability partners. I'm going to get up one hour earlier. I'm going to memorize scripture and I'll do better. 
Self-control? Yeah, I need to stop eating so much. I I need to quit my addiction. I'll try harder, Lord. And so we say, God, thanks for this reminder list in Galatians. I'm on it. I I know I'm pretty weak in a few of those areas. Actually, all of those areas. So for the month of May... It means new beginnings at springtime. Things are growing, and so I will start growing this fruit. God, I will get her done. I'm on it. But but Paul again says, no, 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 you don't understand. This is not a to-do list. This is fruit. And you can't grow fruit yourself. You can't say, all right, I will do better with joy this week. No, it comes from abiding in the vine of Jesus. Then he grows that fruit in you. You can't say, well, I'm going to try to be more gentle this week. No, lasting gentleness, gentleness doesn't come from trying harder. It comes from abiding in Christ. And, and here's the thing. This is what is amazing. When you finally understand that as you abide in him, When you understand that Christ grows the fruit in you, then without your even realizing it, one day your wife will say, Honey, let's talk, which always puts the fear of God in us. But she will say, Honey, let's talk, but it's good. I've noticed something about you. You've been so much more loving towards me. What's gotten into you? And you might not have even realized it, but as you've walked with the Spirit, spiritual fruit has started growing in your life. Or, or husbands, maybe you say to your, to your wife, honey, I, I've noticed that you're more patient with the kids. Even when they act like savages and you discipline them, you're, you're firm, but you're so kind. Or, or maybe your boss will say at your annual evaluation, I've noticed you're, you're more at peace and calm here at work. You used to be uptight and a drama king or a drama queen. But, but you just seem to be so peaceful or or that place of business that you go into and you're known for being a stinker and unfortunately there are church people with that reputation i won't mention your names but when certain people go into particular businesses it's like the employees all of a sudden they all have to go to the bathroom and the bathrooms fill up and so they go to the break room so they won't have to wait on you. But now you go in there, and, and they're so sweet, they're fighting over who gets to wait on you. And, and, and the conversations, wonder what happened to them. They, they used to be so abrasive. I, I just love them now. And did you know that if you have spiritual fruit, you will be more attractive than probably you really are? Because kindness in a person seems to cover up outward ugliness. It really does. You know, when you're a kind person, let let me put it my way. When when I'm a kind person, you forget how ugly I am. And and you too. Um, Spiritual fruit will make you more productive. Because a person that has the fruit of, you know, fruit of joy, complains a lot less, gets more done you'll be more productive. Having the fruit of the Spirit will make you more dependable because one of the fruits is faithfulness and and a faithful person just shows up, keeps his word. 
having the fruit of the Spirit will make you more healthy because one of the fruits is self-control, which means we'll be able to control our eating habits and our addictions. And the, the fruit of the Spirit will make you a better daddy and mommy because you will be more gentle, and a gentle person seems to win the hearts of little boys and girls. The, the fruit of the Spirit will, will keep you from outbursts of anger because patience causes you to be okay as things don't go your way. But again, this list of fruit isn't a to-do list. Rather, it's fruit that Christ grows in us as we begin to abide in Him. Paul then finishes up Galatians chapter 5 by saying this, verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified, and that word literally means to impale, have impaled the sinful nature with its passions and desires. And here's a statement, key statement that you need to keep close by, verse 25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. That's big. Living in the Spirit is not just a one-time decision that will take care of you for the rest of your life. Living in the Spirit requires a daily walk where you live in Him and He lives in you. Now, as we um, close out this series, I would love to say, okay, here are five things we need to do to stay in step with the Spirit. But if I did that, we would be back to a list. And it's not about a list. It's about abiding in Christ. So I won't give you a list, but before we go home, I would like to um, go back and give a reminder from each of our four lessons. And I know I've told you, and my professors always used to say that if you have to go back and give a review of the lesson, you did a poor job of presenting it in the first place. But I still want to do a review. In the first lesson, we learned that if your approach to the Christian life is every night having to say, Jesus, forgive me of my many sins, I told a little lie, I showed a bad attitude, I said a bad word, I lusted, so God, forgive me of those sins. Now I'm going to do my very best to be like you, and I'm going to try harder to do what you want me to do, and I'm going to be more disciplined. If that's your approach to serving God, Paul would say, good luck, you still got your problem. It was from this very standpoint that Paul wrote with great frustration, why can't I do the right things that I want to do? In the second lesson, we learn that when we go from in Adam to in Christ, sin is no longer our master. This doesn't necessarily eliminate pop-up sins, but we don't have to be a slave to habitual, continual, addicted sins and so, therefore, we encourage you to say the phrase, remember, sin is not my master. And maybe, why don't we go ahead and do that again, just to get it in our minds. On the count of three, say, sin is not my master. One, two, three, sin is not my master. Now, sometimes we may be in situations where we can't say it out loud. So, on the count of three, let's just whisper it, okay? One, two, three, sin is not my master. In the third lesson, we learn the concepts of 3D living. Decide that you're going to be in Christ. Declare that you no longer belong to Satan, you belong to Christ. Devote the members of your body to God. And remember that prayer that I encourage you to pray daily, starting from the head down. God, I want to just consecrate my mind to you here at the very beginning of the day because I know later on sin 
is going to come and say, could I borrow your mind a little bit so we can think about these things and I can say, I'm sorry, sin, I already gave that to God. Or, God, I want to just consecrate my, my hands to you at the very beginning of the day and especially my thumbs because that's what I use to navigate on my phone. And so I want to consecrate them to you. That way, whenever sin comes later on and says, by the way, could I borrow your thumbs for just a little bit? I can say, I- I'm sorry, I already gave them to God today. Devote your body to God. And then we learn that today we must walk in step with the Spirit of God. And when that happens, He will begin to produce and grow fruit in us that will make us more like Jesus. So my prayer for you, my prayer for me, is that we will no longer be slaves, slaves to sin. Because sin is not our master. And I pray that we will begin to abide in Christ and we will grow and bear fruit. Fruit that will always be in season. And that will make us an attractive witness for Jesus. So as we close out this series, close out our service, would you just pray in your heart that that sin would, that you would no longer be a slave to sin? Would you just pray that you would be connected to the vine and he would grow good fruit in us? Let's just pray. Lord, we thank you for your word that helps us to have a, an understanding of what it means to no longer be a slave to sin. Father, I pray that you would just uh, help us to, for those that maybe are still in Adam, they're, they're still dealing with the struggles of in Adam, I pray that they would move to in Christ. Father, I pray for those that are dealing with just the slavery to to those sins that uh, Paul was talking about that are so frustrating. The good that I want to do, I don't do. And Lord, that internal conflict that we read about today. But Father, I pray that we would understand what it means to abide in Christ and that, Lord, as we're attached to the vine, as we're connected to the vine, then, then Jesus begins to flow through into the branches and we will produce fruit, fruit that we can't produce. We might produce it for four days, but God, we will eventually come back and mess up. But Father, whenever we're connected to you, then your power flows into us and the fruit just grows naturally. And so God, I pray for me. I pray for these people. Lord, that we would just learn the art of walking by the Spirit that we would stay in step with the Spirit. Lord, this is not just a one-time commitment, but Father, every day we need to just make sure we're in step with the Spirit. And Lord, last week we talked about just recalibrating our souls. And and Lord, as we recalibrate ourselves every morning, I, I, I pray, Father, that during that time we would just make sure that we're in step with Jesus. So God, I pray that you would help us as we uh, move forward. This week, Lord, let us stay in step with you. Let us bear good fruit, fruit of the Spirit. Lord, for what you do for us, we will praise you. We will thank you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
You're dismissed. See you this afternoon. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.